You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good morning. That video told you approximately nothing about what this series is going to be about. Uh, but we are, we are starting a new series today, which I have not said in about four months because we were just in a very long series. But we're starting a new series uh, today called Winning in Your Mind. And uh, full disclosure, even before we begin, I've never done a series that is based entirely on um, like a book that someone else wrote. And other than the Bible, obviously, every series we do is based on a book someone else wrote. But uh, we, are, we are basing this series on this book here, Winning the War in Your Mind uh, by Craig Rochelle. And so obviously, over the course of five weeks, there's no way we're going to be able to pack all of the content in this book into what we teach. And so we have a lot of different supplemental resources for this series that we'll get into today as we, as we begin. So uh, with that being said, I want to just begin by showing you a picture this morning. Who knows who this guy is right here? Harry Houdini. Yes, Harry Houdini, obviously the famous, famous magician. And Harry had this kind of habit that he would, he would go through. As he was going into a new town to do a show, he wanted to kind of drum up energy and drum up excitement about his show. There was no such thing as Facebook or social media back then, and so he had to do it an old-fashioned way. And so naturally what he did is he would go find the local jail of the town that he was uh, going to perform in, and he would have the local jailer lock him in the jail cell. And his whole shtick, he would gather a crowd to do this even before his show, his whole shtick was he could get out of any jail cell that he was locked into. And so from town to town to town, he was able to escape. He was able to get out of these jail cells. But then one town he came to, the jailer at that town was a little bit sneaky. He was a little bit cunning, and he knew Harry's whole shtick. He knew kind of what he did when he came to a town. And so like any other town, Harry gets into the jail cell. The jailer shuts him in, and he turns the key. And Harry, for a long time, over and over, cannot get himself out of this jail cell. This one jail cell he cannot get out of no matter how hard he tries, no matter what he does. He cannot escape from this one jail cell. It's the first time it ever happened. Why is this? Because when the jailer shut the door and turned the key, he didn't turn the key to lock the jail cell. He turned the key the opposite direction and left the jail cell unlocked. And so time after time, as Harry's trying to escape from this jail cell, it is unlocked the whole time. And every time he tries, he just ends up locking himself back into this jail cell. Now, parents in the room, this does not work on your kids. I've tried it. They will rip the door of their bedroom off the hinges or bungee jump down the side of the house if you try this on them. It does not work. But Harry, in this moment, in this jail cell, was held captive by nothing more than a lie. He was imprisoned by nothing more than a lie in his mind, and that is the story of so many of our lives. In fact, when Satan attacks, 
He is a one-trick pony. He goes after one thing, and that's our minds. Because our minds are powerful, powerful things. See, if Satan can convince you to, to think differently, to discourage you or deceive you or distort your thoughts, if he can get you to, if he can attack or, or distort what you are thinking and what you are believing, he wins. Why? Because a lie believed as truth is lived out in our lives as if it were true. Lies that we believe are lived out as if they are true. And Paul, a guy who wrote a massive portion of the New Testament, understood this. In fact, if you read through this book over and over throughout this book, the idea of winning the war in your mind comes up constantly. It is such an important battle. Paul believed with everything in him, number one, that Jesus Christ has unlocked the jail cell for every single person who has believed in him. That Jesus Christ has unlocked that jail cell. However, he also believed that it is up to us to open that door and walk out in freedom. And yet so many of us have not taken hold of that yet. And so as we begin this new series this morning, I want to just frame our entire conversation with what I believe are two really important truths. And this will ring true throughout this whole series. The first truth is this. The battle for your life is won or lost in your mind. The battle for your life is won or lost in your mind. And then the second one here is this. Your thoughts will control you. So you have to control your thoughts. What lies are you believing in your life that are keeping you a prisoner in an unlocked jail cell? Like what strongholds in your life are weighing you down in chains that God is actually inviting you into freedom, to walk in freedom out of that jail cell? That's what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 to begin this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, I'm just going to read this and then I'll kind of set up what's happening here afterwards. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 says this. For though we walk in the flesh, these, these are Paul's words, Paul is writing who we just talked about, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul knew the battle that is waged, the war that is waged in every single one of our minds constantly. In fact, when he writes letters, you can kind of, you can kind of almost see what his mental state is underneath each of his letters because all of them, every single letter that he writes to different churches throughout this world that he's in, every single one of them has kind of an undertone to them. Like if you read Philippians, the tone under the, the book of Philippians is one of great joy and rejoicing and gratitude. If you read Galatians, the, the tone under Galatians is just anger. Like Paul is pretty peeved off in this moment here. He's mad when he writes Galatians. You know what the tone of 2 Corinthians is, the one that we're in right now? It's a tone of deep, deep sorrow. There's a war waged in Paul's mind as he writes these words. 
You see, people in this world have begun waking up to the fact that if this Jesus thing is real, like if this Jesus message is real, then it's going to cost you business in the marketplace. It's going to cost you social standing in, in the world. That your, your status in society would begin to deteriorate because of Christ. And so if you read 2 Corinthians, this is the world that Paul is writing into, and he is filled with sorrow. I just want to read a couple of the verses here from 2 Corinthians that kind of highlight this. 2 Corinthians 1.8 says this, and the, the words aren't going to be on the screen, but it says this, the load is too heavy. It got to the point where we gave up on life itself. Deep inside ourselves, we received the death sentence. Paul is facing a heavy, heavy load when he writes these words. That all human strength, all human ability has worn thin and there is a, a battle waged in his mind. But he is being attacked by those inside and outside the church right now against his style, against his ministry, against the very calling God has placed on his life, and his burden is feeling heavy in this moment. Here's another one from 2 Corinthians 2, 4. He says this, I wrote to you in floods of tears with great anguish in my heart. See, the Bible <laughs> is not just this book of like, hey, everything's great, everything's fine, we're just going to you know, sweep everything under the rug. Like Paul is deeply anguished when he writes these words, and you can see it play out throughout this entire book. And you can also see his deep conviction that it's in our minds, in our thought lives, where we are either staying in a prison that is unlocked, or we are invited to walk out in freedom that Christ has already won for us on the cross. In fact, Paul calls these mental lies, these mental battles, strongholds. Stronghold in this world, in Paul's world, would have been a place in the city uh, about 20 feet up, super, super high, where it was virtually impenetrable. The highest point in a fortress, the top of the highest peak in the city, way higher than 20 feet. I meant walls 20 feet thick, surrounding strongholds. Some of us have strongholds in our lives that we have believed since we were kids. Some of us have lies that we have believed and have been reinforced over and over and over again over the course of our lifetime. And we have believed that those strongholds around us have protected us when, in fact, they're actually just imprisoning us. And the tricky part about strongholds is that they can be really hard to discover and uncover in our lives if we're not willing to do some work. Strongholds exist deep under the surface. They are lies about ourselves. They are lies about God. And they exist deep under the surface. I've, I've worked out some of the strongholds that I've discovered in my life. And um, it's been in you know, counseling sessions and small group settings. It's been those light bulb moments where it's like, oh my goodness, this is why I act this way in this situation. And it's tied to this. And today what I want to do is I want to help us unpack this for our own lives. This is going to be a ridiculously practical sermon today. So here's a truth that I think is a little bit challenging, is this. You cannot defeat what you cannot define. You cannot defeat what you cannot define. And defining the stronghold, and it's probably different for every single one of us in this space watching online, you cannot defeat what you cannot define. And so in order to pull back the layers and, and discover what strongholds exist in our lives, we have to begin in this place right here. We have to begin by identifying the problem in our lives. This is the easiest step, identifying the problem. 
For you, maybe the problem is a behavior. Like maybe you are addicted to shopping. My husband's wife, or my, my wife's husband has a real problem with this. Yeah, I like, uh, I like shoes a little bit too much. But maybe like, maybe for you, like consumer debt is crippling. Like you have this, this need to shop all the time, or maybe you have a self-destructive habit, like eating a gallon of ice cream every single night, or there's some kind of problem behavior, constantly returning to the bottle every single night to numb some level of pain. Like you start by just identifying the problem. Like maybe you turn to toxic relationship after toxic relationship. Maybe for you it's an emotion, like constant anger. You just mad all the time, or or bitterness. You begin by identifying the problem. And the problem with just stopping here is this is where most people live. And they'll say, well, anger is my stronghold. Or drinking too much is my stronghold. But this is just the symptom. This is just the behavior. And Jesus is never just after behavior modification in our lives. There's always something deeper than just the problem. See, if this is the only place we begin with and we just say, well, I'm just an angry person or we just take on the problem as identity, I'm just an alcoholic or I'm just whatever. If this is the only place where we live, we're only addressing the symptom and we're trying to fix things through behavior modification. And friends, the gospel is so much deeper than that. This is like if you were to develop a a cough and you have extreme pain in your chest, and you go to the doctor, and he diagnoses you with lung cancer, and to treat that, you just go home and start popping cough drops to address the cough. You have to go a level deeper than just identifying the problem, whether it's anger or drinking or shopping or whatever it is. And so then we go a level deeper. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we demolish strongholds, that we level these with violence. (laughs) (laughs) that we take them down in the name of Jesus. So the next step here in defining our stronghold, we begin just probing the problem like crazy. Every time this problem arises, we begin just asking all kinds of different questions from every single angle about this problem. Like, why am I doing this? When did it start? How does this make me feel? Is fear driving this? If so, what am I afraid of? Are there triggers? Are there seasons? Like just as many different questions from as many different angles as you possibly can around what the problem is. See, the problem is most of us don't get to that step. We don't begin asking these questions. And it's in the process of probing, it's in the process of asking these questions where strongholds, patterns start to emerge. Or we can discover at the bottom level here and pinpoint what the stronghold is in our lives. See, a stronghold is often a truth you, a lie you believe about yourself, about identity, a lie you believe about God. Let me give you a couple examples here of how this this sequence plays itself out. Let's say the problem you identify is you self-sabotage all the time. So you, you just kind of, every setting you're in, you just kind of mess it up. You're like Murphy's Law walking around, right? Like everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And so as a result, you avoid anything that is risky, right? So you avoid applying for the promotion or starting the new relationship or, or putting yourself out there in different ways. And so you've identified the problem behavior, but then as you begin probing at that and asking questions and discovering what's underneath it, you, you get to the stronghold eventually, 
And the stronghold is a statement of identity that says, I think I'm a victim. And I believe I can never, ever win in this life. It's a lie of identity. That's a stronghold. That's deeper than just a problem behavior. It's, it's deeper, and that only is arrived at through prayer, through asking probing questions, and through getting at what's under the surface. Let's say for you, the, the problem is constant worry and angst. And so you begin asking questions about why am I so anxious? Where is this happening? And in asking those questions, you begin to discover that, wow, a lot of it's circling around money and finances and, and food on the table. And as you probe deeper into that, you begin to discover that as you relentlessly check your bank account or need to control every single plan in your life, you realize that growing up as a kid, you had very little control over anything. That money was a source of constant conflict in your family. That food wasn't often on the table in ready supply. And so the stronghold that you begin to emerge out of that, that you begin to pinpoint, is that God cannot be trusted to provide my basic needs, and I need to control my own life. That is a stronghold statement. God cannot be trusted is a much deeper level of, of identity for us than just I'm anxious and I worry all the time. Does this make sense? Like, you cannot defeat what you cannot define. And so Paul gives us something to do with this in 2 Corinthians 10. He, he says we, we do something with these, with these beliefs, with these thought patterns. This is what he says. He says, we take every thought captive and surrender it in obedience to Jesus Christ. We don't just let these thoughts swirl in our head, untouched, unhealed. We actually grab onto them. We take them captive and we surrender them to the person of Jesus. I want to point out two things about this verse. Number one is when he says we take every thought captive, this is not a one and done thing. The process that Paul is describing here, the tense that he is describing here, is an ongoing process, like an everyday type of thing, taking thoughts captive. How many of us have ever had a stronghold that just like once we thought about it, took it captive, and it was done? If that's you, like I want to know your secret, because that's not how life works, right? We, every single day, we are taking these thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ, and then the second piece about this verse here that I think is so incredibly important is that he uses we language. This isn't just you. You're not just more messed up than the person next to you. We, collectively, as a church, in small group settings, in therapy offices, we take every thought captive as an ongoing process of maturity in Christ. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of solidarity in me knowing that y'all are just as messed up as I am, okay? Like that gives, maybe, I don't know if that gives you comfort. But I've walked through this process. Like I've gone through this process. Like for me, identifying the problem, I, and I've shared this a lot before on this stage, but I've struggled with anger a lot throughout my whole life. I was the kid that punched holes in walls and doors all the time as a kid. My poor parents had to patch up so many like, holes that I had punched in walls. And again, anger is not the stronghold. Anger is just the symptom. Anger is just kind of the surface level. It is a secondary emotion. There is something always deeper under that emotion. And so for me, I would go from 0 to 10 in 2.5 seconds, and there was no 2, 3, 4, 5. It was just 2, 10 
And this anger became a mix of anger and depression and anxiety, and it is not a good mix. And I spent a lot of years sorting this stuff out in therapy, journaling about it, going through this process of taking these thoughts captive, asking probing questions like, when does this happen? Why? Is this fear just playing itself out? And God began to reveal to me over a process of time that the message, Brad, that you received as a kid over and over and over again from family members and from school was that real boys don't sit and talk and act and are interested in the things that you are interested in. Like struggles with masculinity in my own life have been a constant, constant battle. And so the stronghold emerged for me is you are not a real man, so you need to assert your masculinity through anger because you can control that. That is a dangerous stronghold to walk through life with. And this stronghold led me to intense amounts of shame and hiding and bitterness and isolation. And I was a professed Christian the whole time, never dealing with it. You see, Jesus has already unlocked the prison cell if you are in him, if you have put your trust and your faith in him. He has already unlocked that door. Are you willing to walk through it? Are you willing to go through the hard work of freedom that he has won for you on the cross. I meet a lot of people who are not growing in holiness, who are holding on to bitterness, who are walking with no confidence in their salvation, who are more interested in finding identity in their brokenness than in transformation through Jesus. And yet you were designed for abundant life. You were designed for a life that is free from condemnation. You were designed for a life that is free from shame, that is free from constant angst and weighed down by burden. And you were called to a life marked by peace and purpose. And so in the midst of Paul writing this letter to 2 Corinthians, what you begin to see emerge throughout this letter, throughout the whole thing, is that even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of deep despair, there is a sense of boldness that begins to emerge, a sense of confidence, a sense of comfort. Why? Because for Paul, every single area of his life, every single area of the church lives in the shadow of the resurrection of King Jesus. Every single piece of it. There is no life, part of life that is not touched, that is not transformed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so knowing our strongholds is not enough. Just simply identifying them. Like a lot of us know we have issues, right? And maybe you've gone through the process of identifying those issues. There's entire generations of young people right now that I think are being taught to identify their issues, point them to some past childhood thing, and then just live a life of bitterness and anger towards their parents for the rest of their lives. That's not healing, that's not taking hold of these thoughts that run around in our mind. There's others of us who walk through this life and maybe you're like, I hate all that touchy-feely junk. Like, leave me alone. I want to go home and just, you know, continue drinking. Continue beating who's ever in my path. And I don't want to ever deal with any of this stuff. Can I say that your unwillingness, and this is, this is tough love, I know this right now, but can I say that your unwillingness to deal with some of the stuff is creating havoc around you. 
We have to deal with some of this stuff. We have to be willing to take our thoughts captive every single day, day in and day out. And this is a hard truth that some of us need to hear. That only the things that you actually confront can change. Only the things that you are willing to confront can actually change. For 30 years of my life, I never confronted my strongholds. Never. And four years ago, it led me to a place, and I've shared this before, it led me to a place where I was just rock-bottom depressed. Suicidal ideation running through my mind like a marathon. Just this dark, deep hole. I'm here to tell you that Jesus invites us to confront our strongholds. That he invites us into a life of freedom. And so if Jesus is about us confronting our strongholds, seeing those torn down and ripped down, about winning the war that exists in our mind, how do we go about doing this? You know, when Jesus' identity was questioned, when his purpose was questioned, when, he, when the devil attacked Jesus and wanted to distort and discourage and deceive, what did Jesus do? How did Jesus respond? He responded with truth. Like, truth is the best antidote to the lies that we believe. Wow, that's a brilliant idea, right? That's a new thought. Truth is the opposite of lies. And so when Jesus is confronted with lies about himself, about his identity as, as son of God, about his purpose and his calling to go to the cross, what does he do? Truth comes off his lips. Scripture comes out of his lips. In, in John 8, this is what Jesus says. He says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is the only truth that sets you free? It's the truth that you know. It's the truth that you're able to state and speak and live out. And for those who are in Christ, truth is not just an idea. Truth is a person. A person named Jesus who walks with you who journeys with you, who is opening the prison doors that we constantly want to shut, who has laid the groundwork for us to experience everything we need to experience freedom. So only the things that you confront can actually change. So how do we go about doing this? Once we've identified our stronghold, if you want to go to that next slide, Ezra, once we've identified our stronghold, which is the lie that we believe, the lie of identity, the lie about God, once we identify that, we confront that with truth. What does God's word say about this? Like with my specific stronghold, with my specific lie, what does God's word actually say about this? What are the areas where God is speaking to me through his word, through the power of prayer, and inviting me to greater levels of freedom? So what does God's word say about this? And then from there, we take that and we make a declaration. We write this truth as our own life declaration. We make a statement about our lives that is true, a statement of identity that is true according to God's word. Let me show you exactly how this lives itself out. Maybe the lie for you is the one that we said before. The stronghold is God can't be trusted. I need to be in control of my own life. And you confront that stronghold with the truth of God's word, Romans 8, 32. God did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So if you go to that next one there, our declaration, that the statement of our life coming out of that truth becomes, God loves me, and he knows me more than I know and love myself. He has my best interests in mind, and he will provide what I need. And that's the mantra you walk through this life with. Every single day, God knows what I need. He's got me. He will meet my needs. It may not be in the way I expect. It may not be in the way that I even want, but he will meet my needs. He's got me. My, uh, my wife, Sam, is one of my favorite people on the planet. That's a good thing to say about your spouse, right? <laughs> um, and Sam is one of the most physically active people I know. You're friends with her on Apple Watch. You know this already. She, she eats healthy, and she's also a plus-size woman. And Sam has dealt with a lot of stuff around that. She's been bullied by kids in school as a kid. In fact, at one point, it got so bad that her parents took her out of school and began homeschooling her because the bullying around her weight got so incredibly bad, so intense. She has had close family members who have had too much to drink and make comments, disparaging comments about her weight. Not to mention going into every single store and being told, oh, we carry your size online right, not being able to shop in stores. The world is hard enough as a woman to walk through, but to be shamed constantly for your body, to look in the mirror and not like what you see, as, as Sam and I have talked, even just this past week, like for Sam, the lie that she has believed for so much of her life, the stronghold in Sam's life, is I have less value as a person because of my body. That's deeper than just standing in the mirror and not liking the way an outfit looks on you. I have less value as a person because of my body. Can I just say, like, I'm really proud of the woman my wife is becoming in this area. She made sure even as we, t and I got her permission on this, sharing this ahead of time because I'm a smart husband. And uh, <laughs> sometimes, not often. But one of the things Sam wanted me to make sure I reiterated over and over is this is a process. Taking captive every thought is a process. It is not a one and done decision. It is a process of taking every thought captive. And in the face of that stronghold, that her value is somehow less because of the shape and size of her body, I see a wife, I see a woman now who is walking through this world from a place of strength and dignity. That she is kind and generous and compassionate. That Sam is raising two young girls to become strong, confident, kind women. We're still working on the kind part, but we'll, we'll get there one day. She has raised other babies in foster care, other people's babies in foster care. That she runs a successful business and loves people fiercely. Sam has been a rock for me in some of my darkest moments. I can't even talk about my wife without getting emotional. Oh, how? Because Sam has learned how to confront that stronghold with truth. Every single morning, every single day, combating those lies with truth. 
Sam's life verse is Zephaniah 3.17. It says this, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Over and over again, just reading that, meditating on that truth, and so many others from the New Testament. You are God's masterpiece. Statements of identity that actually have the power to rewire and rework the lies and the the strongholds that we have believed. And so Sam's declaration that she walks through this life with, that she has to tell herself, that she tells her daughters, that she tells me all the time, this is Sam's declaration, that God does not assign value like people do. That I am fully known, fully loved, and made in the image of the God who delights in me. What is your stronghold? What is the thing underneath the surface that you have believed that is wreaking havoc in your life? in your relationships, in your very view of God himself. You know, I realize this is a process. And this is a process that takes time through therapy, through journaling, through getting in this word, in this book, to actually confront the lies that we have believed. And so we wanted to create a resource, a framework that helps you go through just that. And so we have an ebook available, and every single week there's small group study, there's personal study that, are, that is part of this ebook, And you can download it at newlifewayland.org slash small groups or, or scan the code on the back of your seat. If you join a small group, and we have several small groups you can sign up for that go through this content, if you join a small group, we'll have a physical copy of the book for you, and you can begin journaling through that and talking through that with a group in a group setting. Friends, I believe that there's some freedom that God wants us to experience in this place. I believe that there's some prison doors that have already been unlocked that Jesus is inviting us to walk out of, to walk in freedom towards. Will you swing that door open? Will you walk through it? Will you go on this hard but healing journey of confronting the battles that have waged in your mind for decades in some cases? I love how the author of the book that we're in, Craig Groeschel, says this, and this is kind of how I want to close is with this quote here. That in 10 years, we will each look in the mirror and someone will stare back. That person will be shaped by the thoughts of today. The life we have is a reflection of what we think. Will you walk in freedom? Will you go through this journey with us as a church over these next five weeks to experience freedom in our thought lives because everything else changes when we take thoughts captive and submit them in obedience to King Jesus. So let's go ahead and pray and then we're gonna respond with one more song and worship. God, I know there's people in this room, I know there's people watching online who have had the same thought patterns just wage war in their minds over and over again. A certain season, certain people bring this up. That fear, anxiety just seem to have a hold. And so God, I pray this morning, throughout this week, that as we work through these resources together as a church, that as we commit ourselves to doing this hard and healing and incredible work, God, that you will loosen the chains of our strongholds. 
that we will walk out of prison doors as free people because we were not designed to live in captivity. That God, for so many of us, our thoughts are taking us captive and we reverse that cycle this morning. We take our thoughts captive and surrender them in obedience to you. God, I pray that as a church, we will do that, that we will walk in that, and that we'll hold each other up as we go through that journey. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray, and everybody said, 